the Maskilim and their spies, they travel to the areas where the army sent these young boys. And once there, why, why did they go there? Because they wanted to catch the Rebbe's shluchim in the middle of their jobs of trying to help these boys. In 1842, one of these guys succeeded in tricking the Chassid Reb Chaim Yeshua into thinking that he also was involved in rescuing these young soldiers. Now, what happened was he basically became very friendly with Chaim Yeshua and he convinced him, he said, hey, let me help you with these kids. And, and he helped him. And, but that was all to set up a trap for him. And just as the chassu was about to disappear with these boys, he was caught and he was arrested. Now, what I'm going to say now in short how Reb Chaim Yeshua got involved in helping boys in the first place, but later in the year we're going to go through the story. It's a very long story. So here we go. So very bekitzer. It was in the, he lived in the middle of nowhere, Reb Chaim Yeshua. And, and um, one time, it was the middle of the winter, he gets a knock on the door, there's two people outside, he lets the two yidden, he tells them to come in, warm themselves up, and he was walking to outside to get something from outside, and he hears crying, and it sounds like an animal at first, and then he went into the back, he saw their wagon, and he saw there were, there were two kids tied up in this wagon. Basically, these guys were Jewish kidnappers. So what did Chaim Yeshua do? He ran, he took, untied these two kids, he brought them to his brother's house, and um, his brother uh, said, I'll watch them, you go and, you know, uh, uh, get, get, uh, you know, get this, these guys out of here. Now, Rechaim Yeshua is terrified because he left his own kids alone with these two Jewish kidnappers. And <coughs> when they come in, he, he comes back in and, and as they're talking, he asks them, so where are you guys going? And they say, oh, we're, we're on the way to a doctor. Oh, Nebach. My brother over here, he has two sons who are crazy and we need to take them to a doctor. And at that moment, Reb Chaim Yeshua's brother comes slamming in the door. His hands are like on a huge club, ready to beat them. And he says, you guys better get out of here, you Jewish kidnappers, or I'm gonna hurt you so bad. And they run away and they basically, and, and, and Chaim Yeshua doesn't know what to do with these kids now. So he takes them with him to Lubavitch. Next time he goes to the Tzemach Tzedek and the Tzemach Tzedek basically told him that, uh, he should get involved in this and helping Jewish kids. And that's what he started doing until he was caught and arrested. So that's what we're holding. Now, anyways, the Maskilim, they immediately informed the government that, yeah, you know what, it was this Yid who was doing all the stuff, but who do you think told him to do it? Of course it was the Tzemach Tzedek. The Rebbe of Lubavitch, right? And uh, the governor of Vitebsk, he was so angry. He said, is that true? That the Tzedek of Lubavitch could do such a thing? And he announced, his determination to charge Reb Chaim Yeshua as a rebel against the Tsar in military court. Now, there's two types of, there's a bunch of types of court, but in general, there's military court and civilian court. Military court is much stricter than civilian court. So, you, you ever heard the expression in English, uh, 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 not, not an expression, that everyone, you're, you're guilty, you're innocent until proven guilty? Do you know in, in military court you're guilty until proven innocent? Yeah. That's how it works in military court. You don't have to prove the guy guilty. That guy has to prove himself innocent. So, so anyways, he wanted to try Rechaim Yeshua in a military court. Now the Rebbe did everything he could to save Rechaim Yeshua. And again, we're gonna go through the whole story of Rechaim Yeshua later, but we're just doing it in short. Um, 
he was a chassid who worked for eight years helping these kids. Um, now after seven months, the Rebbe's efforts to save Chaim Yeshua paid off, and the government, they only took him to civil court, like, like for civilians. And even though he was convicted, the punishment was not as bad as if it would have been, if it would be a military court. Nevertheless, at the end of the day, the government was furious with the Rebbe for his involvement in, in uh, taking these young kids away from where they, uh, where they were, and they put the Rebbe under house arrest, hoping to find some proof. And they even searched the Rebbe's entire home. But of course, they found nothing because the Rebbe had a committee of five and that's it, finished. They didn't write anything down. So they can never prove his guilt. So they could keep a watch on the Rebbe all they want. But unless, today it would be a lot more different because they would have, uh, they, would, they would put microphones in all over the house and stuff like that to listen in. But in those days, there was no listening. So if it wasn't in writing and you didn't have someone say they heard it, there's no proof. Now, this wasn't the first time the government made a search in Lubavitch for evidence of, of the Rebbe's involvement in these things. A year earlier, uh, they were informed by the Maskilim that, that um, 30 young men who were skipping the draft were learning in the yeshiva of the tzaddik in Lubavitch. Meaning, we all know Temchet Timimim was the first like Lubavitch yeshiva, but it wasn't really the first yeshiva. It was the first systematic yeshiva that had a system of what you're supposed to learn, when you're supposed to learn. There was always a yeshiva in Lubavitch. Um, but it was more like guys just showed up and learned whatever they wanted, basically, for the most part. Anyway, so they said that the 30 boys learning in the yeshiva in Lubavitch, under the tzaddik of Lubavitch, that they were skipping the draft. And even though <clears throat> their own investigation of the Rebbe didn't, they had no proof of this, they ordered a large group of soldiers to go straight into Lubavitch. Late one night, they surrounded the Rebbe's house, the yeshiva, and, and the two local shuls. And for the next three days, no student, visitor, or even someone who lived in the town of Lubavitch, was allowed to go into or leave the Rebbe's place without showing proper identification. And even when nothing was found, the officers didn't give up. They widened their search. They searched every one of the Rebbe's children's homes. But of course, nothing was found because he had the committee of five. And this rare very much embarrassed the officials. They're like, we have all this information that the Rebbe is doing all these things. Well, really, Where, where's the proof? There is no proof. You sent a whole troop of soldiers into Lubavitch and you found nothing? What, what, what a waste of money. And it's embarrassing. And they call in the Maskilim and they say, what chutzpah you have telling us the Rebbe did this? Well, there's no proof of anything. And the, the Maskilim answered back. They said, listen, what we told you is the truth. And even though you didn't find any evidence at this time, I'm telling you eventually you're going to get evidence. Now, the reason they couldn't connect the Rebbe with anything is because the, the, the Rebbe's whole plan was to keep himself out of the public eye. Not that the Rebbe cared about himself more than anybody else. But the Rebbe knew that he's going to be watched more than anybody else. So he has to pretend like he's not involved in anything. As soon as he became Rebbe, right, he had the committee of five that we mentioned a bunch of times already. So their job was to take care of all community things either in person, meaning that even those five people didn't really trust too many people. It's not like they went around letting all the chassidim know what they wanted to do. They themselves took on a lot of tasks on their own without telling anyone or getting anyone's help because the whole thing was so secret. Now, 
when he had to write about them, the letter was such a secret that no outside person could possibly have a clue what it was talking about. It's like you have the Hasidim when they were in communist Russia. Um, they, would, they would write letters to each other. So how's my uncle doing? This guy doesn't even have an uncle. Who's his uncle? They mean the Rebbe, right? But they can't write that because, oh, you're, you're connected to the Rebbe. That's okay. That gives us a reason to arrest you right now. Uh, um, if you read Sabota, for example, for those of you who have read it, so he writes in the beginning, he writes, um, and I remember my grandfather telling me, his grandfather never told him that, it was from the Rebbe, right? But the Rebbe told him, when he wrote the book, everything had to be, even when Avram Netzach wrote the book originally, even then it still had to be secret stuff he was writing. So now you have the new volume, which tells you in the footnotes what everything means. Anyway, it's going right there. Now when Hasidim came to Lubavitch to cry to the Rebbe, about these, all these community problems that they were having. He said, okay, have a moon and Hashem. Don't worry, everything will work out. Speak to the, the Rabbanim. There's nothing I could do to help you. And he never spoke about it to the, to publicly to these people. Now, when these five great leaders, these five Rabbanim would fabreng, five Hasidim, um, with these, with these Yidin who were troubled, and the Rabbanim said, oh, it's so sad. The Rebbe doesn't want to get involved. And again, this was all a cover. Now, the Hasidim didn't know it's a cover. And they're, they're, they're really thinking the Rebbe can't get involved. And it, they're, they're taka crying, and, and it's sad for them. Like, they, for the way they look at it, if the Rebbe, who everyone knows has tremendous avas Yisrael for every single Yid, if he says he can't help you, I'm done. Who, if, if he can't help me, who could help me? And these, these harsh gazetas that, that were experienced by the Yidin, this is what the, the, the Rabbanim with the committee was saying. It's, it's just a result of a gazeta in Shemayim. There's nothing we can do about it. So although the Maskilim had spies everywhere, even in Lubavitch, the conversations they heard among Hasidim, they all carry the same message. That except for responding to Halacha Shilas, the Rebbe was not going to get involved in community issues. Now this protected the Tzemach Tzedek, and more importantly, it didn't just protect him. The goal wasn't to protect him. The goal was that he should be able to continue doing all this underground work without being stopped by the government. Also without him getting personally involved. Now as far as everyone knew, these five leaders were the ones who made all the basic community decisions. And in reality, however, without anyone's knowledge, Every single decision they made, they first discussed it with the Rebbe. Again, nobody knew this. And they did whatever the Rebbe said, of course. And it was done in such a way that, let's say a person did get instructions what to do. He didn't know a whole plan. He was just told, I want you to take this letter and deliver it to that guy. Meanwhile, that guy was told, I want you to take this letter and put it in this mailbox. Another guy was told, I want you to go to that mailbox Take out that letter that's in there and give it to the... Who knows the whole picture? Nobody, except for the committee of five and the Rebbe. Um, the, the, the most messengers had no idea what they were doing when they were doing all this work. And this, of course, is the brilliance of it. If they get caught, <laughs> they can't say, what are they gonna say? They didn't do anything. Um, and, and many people were caught, by the way. But there's no, the guy has no information to give you. You could torture him, you could do anything. He can't say anything because he doesn't know anything. 
However, now that an accuser had informed them that the Rebbe was involved in this work of helping the soldiers escape the army, so the government planned to use this information to their advantage. And the fact that there was no proof, who cares? They're Gaisha ministers who hate Yidin, they don't need proof. Um, the accuser was a credible person, they believed him, and that was enough for them, especially since he was a close relative of one of the Rebbe's uh, uh, helpers. That, that was his source, right? And he therefore, they decided they're going to summon the Tzaddik of Lubavitch to what they called a conference on religion. No, no, it really was a conference on religion, but we're going to see it was not what they had in mind. Now, at the conference, they hoped to be able to pressure and blackmail the Rebbe into cooperating with them. Yes? Blackmail means that you imagine I have a picture of you doing something embarrassing. I, I, whatever, I don't want to get into details. But I go to you and I say, you see this picture over here? If you don't do what I say, I'm going to make sure every one of your friends sees this picture. Like, that's, that's called black. Like, the whole middle of the story, how he got arrested, that was blackmail. If you don't give me money, right, that's how blackmail usually works. Um, so going right there, this is what they hoped to do. Um, and they would force the Rebbe to put his signature to whatever decisions they made at this conference. And they would publicize the fact that the greatest of the Jewish leaders, including the Tzadik of Lubavitch, participated in the conference and he agreed with the new guidelines that they prepared about Jewish observance and Jewish education. And they were hoping that since the Rebbe would not want to be charged with treason and bribing officials, right, and kidnapping soldiers, um, that he wouldn't put up a fight. That's what they were hoping. Or at least that he wouldn't go against them so strongly. So while the Tzemach Tzedek had his share of major community activities to deal with, until that point, everything he dealt with until this time was nothing compared to what was about to come. That was the, the troubles that were to begin facing him and the rest of the Yidin. And now, 15 years after becoming a Rebbe, he was headed into a much tougher battle, a fight that would continue for years to come, even after his Istalkus. This battle was, you had the Rebbe, the Tzemach Sedek on one side and the Maskilim on the other side, whose whole desire was to influence and weaken Jewish education and observance for millions of Yidin all over Russia. And that is what we are going to be talking about the next time.